Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody and welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down in London, England at the O2 Arena. UFC Fight Night, Curtis Blades versus Tom Aspinall, top-ranked heavyweight bout, headlining the card, and a chance to create another new heavyweight top contender that will not be able to fight for the title anytime soon because the division is in continuous stasis. Yes. Yes. But, uh... Got a problem with that? Not the energy you were looking for? You know? Completely no-selling my enthusiasm for your point there. That's fine. I didn't. Was that enthusiasm? I couldn't. It was very like. Yes. Yeah, I was gonna say it's very. Um, damn it! What's the uh, saying? I sound inherently sarcastic. I. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, to to think who's the famous creepy guy actor who was in like Casablanca and stuff. Flying. I have a oh Casablanca. Well, all of our audience will know that. Kids, yeah. 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 Kids. kids, who's the guy from Casablanca <laughs> that Zane wants to compare me to? You know. Isn't you know, uh, <laughs> no, not Humphrey Bogart, weirdo. Peter Lorre. Oh, of course. All the kids know Peter Lorre. They should. Come on. He was he was the caricature for car- for every like Warner Brothers cartoon. Oh, I do know Peter Lorre. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the kids might See? actually know. Him. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes, Queen. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Probably okay. got that sorted out. <laughs> yeah. That that really that really wasn't the vibe I was expecting. <laughs> so. Division is in stasis. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree with your point. Is uh, what I was trying to say. Yeah, it, it's a cool fight, and if Great Tom fight. Aspinall wins this, you got to feel like he should be getting a title shot. When I don't know, because mm-hmm. Francis Ngannou is kind of hurt, and we kind of want to see him fight John Jones. No, we don't. I mean, I do, just because it's not going to happen. So just don't even just forget about it. True. True. Yeah, I've been saying this with 100% confidence, and you have yet to have anything indicate that I won't be correct. That it's John Jones true. will never fight at heavyweight. Yeah, it's true. And um, I guess if he doesn't, then do we have another heavyweight top contender right now? No. I mean, it could be if Nganu's still out, then it could be like Aspinall versus Gone for an interim belt kind of situation. Yeah. Although we already gave Gone an interim belt. and. Well, you know, I know. I'm just saying it's a favorite tactic to keep divisions moving when the champ is yeah, sidelined. So. Otherwise, we have Stipe Miocic out there doing doing. I, I got no problem with Stipe. He's you know, he certainly no. has none of John, John Jones baggage, but he is doing the exact same John Jones thing right now. Sure. Where like he just keeps talking about taking up having a fight coming up that he's going to take and. I have no idea what it is or when. Like there's yeah. zero indication that he's actually going to ever fight again. I think Stipe should go right into training because I really want to hear Stipe's voice coming from the corner 
mm-hmm. just utterly incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, the North Ohio Sasquatch in your corner just being strangled. <laughs> what was that, Coach? <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I don't kind, I don't care. I don't, I don't even hold it against Jones. No, I just no. there's just a psychology there where I'm like, yeah, this guy has never wanted to fight bigger guys. He probably got beaten up by his uh, both fat and gigantically muscular brothers, like that yeah. just pinned him on the, uh, you know, on the floor at will. Like he doesn't want to fight those dudes. Yeah, he doesn't have dad energy. He doesn't. So, in that sense. Then Aspinall versus Blade. Oh, wait, that's right. The other one is Tattoo Ivasa. He's the other yeah, yeah. fun guy title challenger out there. But he's got a fight with um he's got a fight with Gon coming up. Tuivasa. Oh, does he? Gon. Yeah. Right, Paris. Okay. Paris headliner. Interesting. So Tuivasa Gone, Aspinall Blades. One of these men is gonna come out in the next six months being a title uh, being the top t- title contender. Yeah. Assumedly. Point point being that the context aside, like, well, context is part of what makes this such a great fight. It also unfortunately yeah. dampens it. It's a bit bittersweet. But yeah, if we pretend for a moment that this is a functional division, this yeah. is a fantastic fight. It is it, it absolutely is. Rare occasion where a heavyweight main event feels like the obviously best fight on the card to be the main event. Yeah, and like it could really need five rounds too because yeah, yeah, yeah I can easily see Curtis Blades going out there and just pinning Tom Aspinall for three 100%. rounds. Curtis and Blades' uh, pace is a major reason why he's uh, he's like I think the premier elite elite gatekeeper at heavyweight right now. Yeah, I can see him going out there and pinning Aspinall for three rounds, and it being up to Aspinall to see if he can rally. Right. Really late in this fight and come up with a win, or it could be Aspinall beating Curtis Blades' ass into exhausting himself and then yeah losing to a wrestling advantage late in the fight. I mean, yeah, there's a lot yeah. of ways for Curtis Blades to uh, to dampen the fire of like an up and coming up and coming contender. I think he's yep. a tremendously unique test for heavyweight contenders. That said. Um... Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's really your pick and your breakdown to make. But We're going back and forth. It's whatever. Yeah, I, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna take Tom Aspinall on this. Yeah, yeah. Well, sh- should I go into it or should you you want to lay it out and I can? I no, can... you should go into it and I'll pick it. We'll pick it up later. Well, I think I'm gonna take Curtis Blades. Um, I mean, with the understanding, I'm I'm almost certainly going to agree with everything you have to say to substantiate the Aspinall pick because, mm-hmm. um. I'm, I'm picking Blades here largely for the similar reasons to why I picked Volkov last time. I'm like, oh, this mm-hmm. is a test. This is a step up. And look yeah. how, you know, Aspinall has been passing these tests with flying colors. Yeah. He's been looking incredible. Um, but like I said, Curtis Blades, you know, Volkov is, is unique among heavyweight gatekeepers because he's really big. He's really tough. Um, he can also, you know, go five rounds. Uh, at a pretty reasonable clip. Curtis when Blades... When, when he's not being wildly inconsistent, which he rarely ever is, it, Volkov feels like the picture of consistency as well. Like, right, yeah. win or lose, I always know exactly what kind of fight Volkov, Alexander Volkov is going to show up and try to have for every yeah. minute of the fight. Yeah. Um, and Curtis Blades has a lot of the same qualities. He's big. Mm-hmm. He's He's more athletic than Volkov. Oh, sure. 
He's, he's fast. He's uh, powerful. And he also has excellent conditioning by heavyweight standards. He's got pretty good conditioning by the standards of divisions a few weight classes down, to be honest. Yeah. And um, the only difference is that uh, he's easily the best wrestler in the division. There is absolutely no competition. Yeah. And that is something that because of that, like you don't face that until you face Curtis Blades. True. And, and that to me is a much bigger question than sort of nebulous ideas of, well, what if Aspinall, what if Aspinall just screws up? Like that's really how he yeah. would have lost to Volkov, right? Yeah. I mean, we were just kind of like, okay, what if he can't knock Volkov out? And right. this is a five round fight where we know Volkov is going to show up and be active for all five rounds. Right. I'll pick Volkov in that. And yeah. Aspinall just came out and mopped the floor with him. Yeah, he absolutely chewed through him with ease. Um, but that could be a path this fight goes. What if he can't knock Curtis Blades out? What if he gets tired, as I said? Yep. But there could be much more immediate consequences for yep. not being able to knock Curtis Blades out. Uh, I, a very strong comparison that uh, that Phil made was to Derek Brunson versus Darren Till. Mm-hmm. That this is one where you're not entirely sure how this matchup goes, and then you see it in hindsight, and you're like, "Oh, there's only one way that fight could have possibly gone because the Darren Till's win condition prompted Derek Brunson's win condition." Yeah, that Darren Till um, having any kind of success was going to get Derek Brunson to panic wrestle. Mm-hmm. and panic wrestling was something he couldn't deal with because he backed off yeah. in straight lines and uh, Brunson could literally just run him over. And that that's what happened. Yeah. And this could very easily be the same. Like whether you, you fail to knock blades out and get tired. And then in, no, in those circumstances, I often um, lean towards the wrestler. Even if in fights where both fighters, I, I expect both fighters to get tired Usually I consider wrestling advantage to be a really strong advantage in that kind of fight. But it could also be that, you know, he, he goes out there, he hurts Curtis blades. He almost certainly will. He's going to hit him clean. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be way faster and he starts super hot, uh, and sharp Tom Aspinall. But, uh, what if he just hurts Curtis blades and that just gets Curtis blades to take him down uh-huh. immediately. And it doesn't, you know, you don't have a choice of, am I going to exhaust myself trying to finish this off? You might just get exhausted because Curtis Blades is on top of you and, and, uh, and is riding you when you're trying to scramble free and is, yeah, he's just a suffocating wrestler who can keep doing it for 25 minutes. So that to me is enough reason to pick Curtis Blades with the understanding that, yeah, if Tom Aspinall can just force bad shots out of him, if he can maintain the right distance, if he can maybe slow his own pace, um, and just sort of rack up damage or if he can even just knock Curtis blades out, those are all distinct possibilities. Yeah. And there's also the possibility that Aspinall goes in there, faces the takedowns and just deals with it. Fine. Yeah. He's already he had, he's unveiled some impressive surprises already. So he, he might just be able to stuff the takedowns and, yeah. um, and just keep beating Curtis blades up and it's, it's just fine for him. Yep. So, yeah, but I, I got to pick the wrestler. I, I just sure. think I, I haven't seen him prove it yet, and this is another one, and I think more reason than I had to pick Volkov is the very concrete uh, skill set edge that Curtis Blades has over literally other guy, every other guy in the division. 
Yeah, and that's that is all very true and fair. And if Curtis Blades comes out and just puts Tom Aspinall on his ass and rides him into the ground, then you know I, I, I could hardly be surprised by that happening. It is a it is an outcome that Blades can force upon just about anybody given the right day for him. And you know, with, with rare and 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 the and the wrong day has only happened three times, twice against the same dude. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, it's just there. There are a couple things. First of all, the the till the till Brunson angle. I remember being pretty confident about picking Derek Brunson in that fight, mm-hmm. and one of the big things going against Darren Till for was that he, he really doesn't knock anybody out. Yeah, true. In the UFC, he has not been any kind of knockout artist. So the idea that suddenly that would show up for him against Derek Brunson, like it hasn't shown up for him against every other top level opponent. Didn't really ring all that true to me. And then uh, there's also the output of Darren Till, which is very ponderous. Mm-hmm. You know, he's never going to set a pace that really didn't like he he could he could hurt Der, Der, uh, Derek Brunson, but it was never going to be like, oh, he's going to turn hurting Derek Brunson into finishing him. You know, he's going to give him that chance to recover, that chance to panic and be a panic wrestler who can then hold on to Darren Till because of the other defensive errors he often makes. Mm-hmm. And Aspinall is very clearly, he's not that, you know, if, if he gets a moment where he thinks you're a little hurt or where yeah. he sees an advantage, everything happens in flurries and combinations and momentum. And he just starts pouring it on. And for Curtis Blades, my biggest fear, I, I know that there is a version of Curtis Blades that can still go out and just shoot on somebody and take them down. Mm-hmm. But as often as not with Curtis Blades, we get at least a round of boxing yeah. out of him. Pretty much every time. And a lot of we we also get a lot of rounds starting without even even after his round of boxing rounds starting without takedowns where mm-hmm. he's trying to work his way into it and he's gotten to be a, a much better boxer. Yeah. So uh, you, you you can see like I mean the fatal flaw he made against uh, Derek Lewis was shooting. If he had yeah. just stayed outside and stuck his jab in Derek Lewis's face for another three rounds. I really honestly doubt that Lewis would have KO'd him. Um, Maybe even just another round just to wear Derek out. Yeah, yeah. Before shooting. But it, there is still, there has always been, I think since his first knockout loss, this little bit of hesitation in Curtis Blades as yeah. to trying to figure out exactly what kind of fighter he wants to be because... He knows that the secret to I'm getting all like whiny here. He knows. Um, he knows. He, he knows. Just keep um, going back to Peter Laurie now that yeah. I know who it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but he knows what kind of fighter he's supposed to be. 
he knows he's supposed to be a wrestler. He knows he's supposed to get out out there and take people down and get on top of them and mash them. And I think all of the training he is doing in between fights is to try and get him so that that's not all he can do. Which makes sense, but it also seems to be causing this indecision where now when he's in a fight, he's like, well, I'm spending all this time training to box. Mm-hmm. And so I need to go out there and I need to to box with people. You know, I need to to throw punches and all that. And in the back of his mind, it's always just like, until I get to the wrestling, until I get to the wrestling, until I get to the wrestling, until I get to the wrestling. And that's where you see something like that Derek Lewis fight. Where it's like, you're doing fine. You don't need to shoot. And then you see other fights where it's like, shouldn't you be shooting? And... I mean, he still does well with his boxing, but he's just, he's out there doing a lot of it. And I think Aspinall is wildly fast for a heavyweight. And he is going to really shock Curtis Blades. And I think he's going to leave Curtis Blades taking worse shots than he might otherwise. And he might get, he might get Aspinall down and it might just start a train of takedowns that doesn't stop. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all the thing is also that uh, I still have questions about Aspinall in general later in a fight. Yeah, of course. Of course. I'm you, just you, thinking you've got to. And and so adult, there is also the fact that even if Blades doesn't start dominating with wrestling, uh, we both agree he's probably going to lose at least the striking exchanges in the first round. And there's a couple possibilities as to what happens after that. Yeah. Um, I but if Aspinall think- slows down, Blades is probably good enough on the feet now that he can also just kind of hold his own in the striking if Aspinall is tired yeah. midway through the fight. Yeah, I just think we're not going to get midway through the fight. Yeah. Blades has been stopped early before his reaction. But yeah, yeah Aspinall's a, a hit or two. And, and, um, and I mean, even the Lewis knockout was just the start of the second round. It's, you know, mm-hmm. five round fight. That's not midway through the fight. That's still pretty early. Yep. Um, and when, yeah, I, I just think that, like, I think Aspinall can go out there and just put a shock into him and yeah. he can, he can get, he can get the knockout. I think he's fast enough off the, off the jump to surprise Blades when he's still trying to figure out what kind of fight he wants this to look like. Because like I said, I think that there is this just, there is this hesitation and disconnect there for Blades that is, I think, always going to be there where his gut is telling him go out and wrestle right away and his head is telling him no we're going to go out and we're going to kickbox with this guy we're going to box with this guy for as long as we need to to set up the wrestling and it's just going to give Aspinall the chance to rush it because Aspinall has no head like that is one of the big things that you can see with him is it like Oh, yeah. There is zero question in his mind about how he is going to fight every fight. Yeah. Even, even if it's going to be takedowns, even if he's going to jump on a submission, whatever he's going to do, everything is just full confidence, full speed, full power. Well, that is the other thing is that thus far, and he's been impressive with it. Yeah. Uh, but thus far, when Aspinall has not knocked an opponent out instantly, which are the vast majority of his knockouts, Mm -hmm. just like right in the first minute of the fight. 
then he um, starts to lose ideas. Well, he goes to the grappling. That's his other idea. It's true. Against Andrei Arlovsky, when he got himself slightly into trouble going chasing the knockout against Volkov within the first round, but just like, oh, I'm not finishing this guy. He's he's still up. I'm going to take him down. Uh, What is the what's the depth beyond? Because it's not going to happen against Curtis Blade. I mean, that would right. That would obviously be a terrible idea. Why yeah, would you well, initiate me, the wrestling with Curtis Blades? Initiate it, it does seem that way, but if he could actually put Blades on his back, then he's in a scramble with Curtis Blades. True. Blades Blades is going to be way more capable of working his way to a leg and just reshooting, yeah. it, or getting up into a clinch than anyone else. It's true. It's true. Against most heavyweights, I would be like, yeah, why not? You know, if you get your own yeah. takedown, you're the heavyweight. You're on top. I mean, that's a yeah. huge advantage. And Curtis Blades, it doesn't seem like. It just seems like at the very least it's going to be an exhausting fight. Yeah. And Blades is comfortable getting exhausted by wrestling. It's It's been his whole combat sports career. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't know what happens after the the failure to immediately KO the opponent. And, and, and I'm perfectly willing to believe that Aspinall will be like, OK, I have to rein it in a bit. I, ha- I just keep him on the end of the jab. Yeah. I can extend myself and just let the right shot come to me. And it, it very well may if he takes that approach. But um, so far, I'm, he just he wrestles everyone that he can't knock out right away. It's true. It's true. And maybe and maybe that will be his downfall. That would be a, it would be a sadly fitting tragic downfall for a heavyweight. Yeah. And I'm not even saying I expect him to wrestle his way into a loss. But just now yeah. that he's in a fight where it seems like that would be a bad idea, what does he do if he can't do that? It's true. He might actually just get stuck for ideas and have a slow-paced right. kickboxing match with Curtis Blades, which is kind of fight where Curtis Blades can then hang and set yeah. up his own takedowns. Right. So, I don't know. It's a very interesting fight. A really, really yeah. good, a, a rarely good heavyweight fight that isn't even for a title. Yeah, I'm going to take I'm gonna take the momentum and the certainty off the bat mm-hmm. of Aspinall to carry him to shut down a few, a, a couple of early takedown attempts and to then, to then hurt Curtis blades and, and put things in a bad enough situation where Aspinall can get a TKO or a KO win. But mm. if it doesn't happen, then yeah, all bets are off. Cause it's not like I can't imagine Curtis blades just taking down Tom Aspinall and riding him out. It could easily happen. Right. All right. Odds on the bout. We've got Curtis Blades is the underdog here. Opened at minus 108, dropped all the way down to minus 131, but it's currently back up at plus 112. So money's coming in all on Tom Aspinall. It's all those UK gambling commercials. <laughs> Betfred. That's right. Use Betfred now, you wanker. <laughs> yeah, it's always like some like crusty like British actor who like used to be a mob enforcer yeah. from like the seventies mm-hmm. or it's uh, like a footballer from the seventies who, who looks exactly like that kind of guy. <laughs> it's like Mickey Rooney or something. I don't think Mickey Rooney used to be a footballer. Who am I thinking of? No, not Mickey Rooney. There's a, there's a Rooney. There's a Rooney. Who's uh, Wayne a, Rooney. Wayne, Wayne Rooney. Rooney. Yeah. Wayne Rooney does look like he used to play football in the seventies, despite being a, Ma- a Manchester United star in the mid two thousands. <laughs> he also looks like he could have been a mob enforcer. Yeah. Uh, Aspinall opened at minus one Oh eight, jumped up to plus one Oh seven is currently down at minus one thirty six. Definitely do not feel like odds should be getting much wider on that fight. No. Blades has only been 
finished three times by the division's two absolute hardest punchers. Yeah. Yeah, and, and three times might sound like a lot, but it is heavyweight, and we've also seen Blades eat so many shots from similarly enormous punchers and not gone down. So Yeah, yeah. He had no trouble just grinding out Rosenstreet, knocking out Chris Dowkaus, who has got great fast hands. Yep. You know? Mark Hunt, Andre, or Mark Hunt, um, Alistair Overeem. Alistair Overeem. All these dudes hit him with titanic shots, and he ate yeah. them and kept going. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Jack Hermanson, Chris Curtis, and um, this is a fight Chris Curtis can absolutely win. Yeah. Jack Hermanson is just the right kind of top-ranked middleweight opponent for Curtis yeah. to knock off in that he is not the world's most technical boxer and really has to fight behind his jab and is... Uh, a not the most imposing athlete either. So this like, is like your your middleweight theory in yeah. action. Like yeah, that there's just often just a remarkably fast and straight pass to the top of this division for really like singular fighter fighters. Yep. I also I just get the feeling that this is the fight Chris Curtis loses. A, he's taking it on super short notice. And Hermanson is not, maybe maybe he's not the most nuanced fighter in any one area, but he's still a really well-prepared, well-schooled guy to have to, like, I, I actually feel like, you know, bouncing back and turning right around and fighting him is probably not the best idea. And I think this might be the point where just because of how determined and tough Hermanson is, where size becomes a real factor for Curtis in a way that it has not yet. Could be. In the UFC. Because, um, yeah, as a 5'10 middleweight like, Curtis is just not that big a dude. And Hermanson is somebody who, if he can, even if he can't take you down, if he can just get to you and grind you for for the three rounds, he absolutely will. Yeah. If he, if he can just press you to the cage. He's press- kind of notably physically lacking, though. That's, the, I think, a thing that has consistently held Hermanson back, isn't it? That he's he's not that strong. Yeah, compared to the elite of the division. But... Well, how is, strong is he compared to Rodolfo Vieira? I mean, Rodolfo Vieira went and held Curtis and beat him for the first round of that fight. Yeah, he, then, he, he held his own, but he Rodolfo Vieira is a fantastic athlete. Yeah, but he also then got really tired. That's true. And Jack Hermanson won't. Yeah. You know? Hermanson is indefatigable and if you can't knock him out Chris Curtis might be able to knock him out it's not like Jack Manson's never been uh knocked out before Jared Cannonier was able to do it mm-hmm. and um 
Thiago Santos were both able to do it. But if you can't knock him out, you end up with like the Marvin Vittori and Sean Strickland fights. Where Hermanson is just She's lost. He lost. But he lost in a absurdly paced, like fighting tooth and nail for every last yeah. inch of it. That is a Hermanson thing. A, her- a heroic losing action is like yeah. a. And I'm just not necessarily sure I'm convinced that if Curtis gets pressed with that kind of fight from Jack Hermanson, that he's going to win it. I don't know. I mean, to me, Zane, this sounds like um, a sort of a weird backdoor way of overrating a good showing and a loss. Where it's yeah. always easy to be impressed by Hermanson's mental toughness and, and uh-huh. his ability to stick with a fight. But these kinds of fights, he's never winning them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's never well. been Jack Hermanson's ability to hang in there that has actually won him a fight. It's always been impressive. It's true. Maybe you're I, right. I had the opposite feeling here. I honestly, I, I, I came into this initially thinking, I don't know, man. Short notice, like Chris Curtis has been such a Cinderella man story. And then the more I look at it, I'm like, how much better is Jack Hermanson than Brendan Allen? Yeah. Like something to it. First of all, I think Chris Curtis is the kind of guy who will probably be absolutely fine on short notice. He is. He is. Right. He strikes you as a dude who is perpetually in shape. Uh, He has at times, like in 2021, he fought six times. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely the style of fighter he is is good for short notice. Exactly. Maybe I'm overrating Hermanson, and I just... I have a fondness for when things are clicking for Jack Hermanson. Yeah. He can be a shockingly difficult fighter to take on. It's, it's, yeah. And it, it's it's a question. I mean, yeah, I, I, like the, you know, it's sort of when his jab is working and things like that. But Curtis is, he's deft enough to deal with that. I mean, Mar- Marvin Vittorian. Sean Strickland were deft enough to deal with that. And when does Jack Hermanson's jab work? This is part of the case I'm now going to lay out to you. Well, it works against orthodox fighters. Yeah, which Chris Curtis is not. Uh, it says he's orthodox on the UFC stats. Chris Curtis, is a, he's yeah. a southpaw. He's a southpaw. You're he right. knocked out Brandon Allen with a jab off to an angle, left uppercut to the body, right hook yeah. over the shoulder. He's, he's a southpaw. And yeah. So that right there is a is a factor, I think, that Hermanson just not being able to easily line up his jab. Yeah. Always limits his offense. It it sort of uh seems to suggest that this has to be a fight where it's gonna be relatively easy for Curtis to pressure him. And Curtis will pressure when it seems suitable, especially against taller guys, I think. Like he mm-hmm. he pressured Brendan Allen really aggressively. He, he you get this impression of Curtis as a counterpuncher, but uh, he can be an aggressive counterpuncher. He will stay in your face. Yeah. He will make you uncomfortable so that you throw so that he can punish you. Um, so I think as I think as long as Chris Curtis is aggressive here, the the, the thing I'm honestly most concerned about is Hermanson's kicks. He's mm. he's quite an active kicker. Yes, it's true. And, and that's something that I think Curtis can be vulnerable to. He's really focused on his boxing defense. His his hands stay kind of shelled. He stands often kind of bladed and is just a lot of slipping and uh, and ducking under punches. 
and people have been able to pick at him with low kicks. And then you also got to be concerned about being the shorter guy at that distance about just ducking into a high kick or something. Um, but if he pressures, those are going to be harder and harder for Hermanson to get off. And Hermanson is profoundly uncomfortable in the pocket. Yeah. He like, uh, he does really just kind of close his eyes and swing. He's a flincher. Yeah. And one of his flinch reactions is just to completely shell up. And Chris Curtis is going to plug him in the body immediately. And he's going to keep doing it. Uh, And he's going to, like he did against Brendan Allen, he's going to find shots upstairs based on the fact that he can pretty much just step in and land a left hand to the body whenever he feels like it. Um, and then, so then the last thing to me that I, you have to consider is, uh, is Hermanson's wrestling. And I, I just think Chris Curtis is a really solid defensive wrestler. Really solid. I mean, yeah. it was possibly the most impressive thing about that Vieta fight was how yeah. he got into extended scrambles too. It was just like, nope, didn't Vieta didn't come close to getting a good position. And yeah, I think while, of like, while he's lost to good wrestlers in the past. Yeah. A, it's a lot of it is the distant past. Yeah. And it's a guy like Magomed Magomed Karamov and not mm-hmm. Jack Hermanson. I mean, Jack Hermanson, he's a, he can be a very crafty wrestler. but Yeah, but he's a better grappler than he is a wrestler. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of his shots will come off that panicked reaction in the pocket, which is how, for example, Kelvin Gastelum won their wrestling exchange and then got submitted. I mean, and something like yeah. that can always happen in a Hermanson fight. Yeah, you, you stop the takedown. He grabs like a weird heel hook, but something like that happened against Brendan Allen, and Chris Curtis just slipped out and went back to beating his ass. So I, I actually like Chris Curtis here. The more I have looked at the footage of both of these guys, the more confident I've become. Like I'm, I'm pretty. Sh- I'll be a little surprised if Hermanson All right. wins. All right, I think you Curtis, swayed me. You know, I've, you swayed me out of my Hermanson pick. I really felt like, you know, I mean, I, I have seen Hermanson go out there and throw like. 360 70 yeah yeah uh, 400 strikes in a fight for five rounds and just absolutely go to war and with his size and with curtis being sometimes a bit of a slow starter Mm -hmm. who picks up over time over three rounds really feel like there's a good chance if he doesn't knock hermanson out hermanson can just go out there put a pace on him from the start and pick it up over, you know, just stay out ahead enough that a bad last round won't kill him. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Curtis has to pressure. That's the only thing. If, yeah. if Curtis fails to pressure, this becomes an extremely difficult fight for him. And not one that I, I don't think he's necessarily bound to lose, but there's a lot more problems to deal with. You got to deal with more volume. You have to deal with more kicks. Yeah possibly Hermanson who, who has to give him some credit. It's not like his jab has been completely non-existent. He, he used it against Marvin Vittori more yeah, than he had yeah. against any Southpaw prior to that. Um, but Marvin but Vittori barely like Marvin Vittori almost doesn't count as a Southpaw just because he's so <laughs> predictable. Yeah. And Marvin Vittori dropped Hermanson in the first round on a counter left hand. I mean, I, yeah, I just think you're right. I think as long as Curtis presses forward, he can get moments early and, and doesn't ever really have to um, let the initiative slip without even having to really fight at a blistering pace. He just has to stay on her man. All right. You you have convinced me, especially with two of two of our best rules, which is never overrate a, a, a fighter out of a loss 
for doing well in a loss. And yeah. that middleweight just provides these paths for people where, yeah. like, you can fight the same kind of fight five times in a row and you'll get five people who just cannot take that fight away from you. Yep. So yep. Bill Halls was the one where he got lucky, you know, like, yep. where he was just dealing with this real physical specimen who was confident and lighting him up really. And, but otherwise, yeah, like against guys like Brendan Allen against Adolfo Vieta, he seems to know exactly what to do. And, um, I, I just think there's a little too much of both those guys in, uh, in Hermanson. Yeah. I mean, frankly, I think Vieta fought a pretty great fight against Chris Curtis. I'm not sure Hermanson's yeah. capable of that level of uh, discipline. I mean, he, like, he's definitely made c- capable of, of staying out of his own head. If he finds something that works. Yeah, yeah. Hermanson's much better, going to be much better at sticking to it and not yeah. getting discouraged. Yeah, he's taken all of his lumps already. You know, he's, yeah. we have seen the results of that. He's, in, he's incredibly... Um, mentally durable and, and yeah. he'll just hang in there. And if it, if it needs to be done, he'll just make it a scrap. But uh, thus yep. far, those haven't been scraps. Those that haven't actually, been fight that he win. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It just goes, he, he makes it more 50, 50 and is already fighting from a deficit. Yeah. I think it's the one after this one that Chris Curtis loses. I think it's, um, I mean, who's he fight next? They're going to give him like it's Paulo like Costa, Derek Brunson or Paulo Costa or, yeah. Somebody like that. And yeah. Jared Cannonier is just going to like yeah. sloppily wrestle him to the ground and knock him out on the floor. It's going to be, you know, th- it gets really tough. But Hermanson is, I think, his, that's the gap in the top 10 that Chris Curtis can just sneak through. Yeah. And honestly, like it could be, you know, they might just give him a title shot anyway. Because like, why would you want Chris Curtis to fight Jared Cannonier? It's not like Jared Cannonier is going to be fighting for a belt anytime soon. Right. Yeah. I mean, God forbid he has to fight someone like Paulo Costa. <laughs> like, that yeah. sounds so cruel. All right. Curtis opened at plus 140, dropped straight down to minus 130, and is currently minus hey. 108. Jack Hermanson opened at minus 160, jumped straight up to plus 110, and is currently minus 114. So they are dead even in the odds. Yeah. I would honestly put Curtis as a, as a, a reasonable favorite here. I, I really, I'm, I mean, I'm. I'm perfectly I've been wrong so many times. Yeah. I'm perfectly willing to be surprised, but I, I feel pretty good about this style matchup for Chris Curtis. Yeah, I my short gut, notice or no. He's just that guy. He's such a rain. I know guy. like he is. I want first. I want him to win. I like yeah. Jack Hermanson a lot, and but I want Chris Curtis to win this fight. Who was Hermanson supposed to fight again? He was supposed to fight Darren Till. Okay. So at least he was prepping for a Southpaw. Yeah. But a very different one. Yeah, a very different one with much clearer flaws. Curtis's yeah. biggest flaws are really that he's small. Yeah, he's he's a really just all round very solid fighter. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout: Patty Pimblett, Jordan Leavitt, and um, leave it alone. Yeah, I don't know. Um, this is a fight, I guess. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's, I can't it's, really, it's, yeah, it, it's a fight that Pimblet should win, but might not. Just like his other two have been. Yeah, I mean, at this point, we have to realize that if if Luigi Vendramini and Rodrigo Vargas can both put a scare into Pimblet, any lightweight can do that. Yeah, Pimblet so. puts the scare into himself. Do you, do, do you know what yeah. the comparison that Phil made about how Pimblet starts every striking uh, battle? 
How? He said he said he the first 10 seconds of every fight, he fights like he's the that guy in that in the trash can in that video. The guy pops out with the monster oh, yeah. mask. <laughs> yeah. And it yeah. just gets decked and knocked out. Patty Bimba is like, you know. <laughs> That's yeah. How he starts, and he just gets instantly hurt against yep. any good fighter. He really does start every fight with the idea that just showing up and walking in is yeah. going to terrify his opponent into not punching him. Yeah. And they all instantly punch him. Yeah. He's like, well, I lost the weight, you know, Mission <laughs> accomplished. Right. I'm ready to go. What more planning is required? Uh, I'm, I have, I harbor a secret hope, by the way, that one of these days, Patty Pimblet is just not even going to try that. He's going to come in weighing like 210 pounds just yeah. being like a dumpy, just like a loaf of sourdough bread on the mm-hmm. scale. Looking like old Gerard Depardieu. Yes. And when that day comes with a bowl cut, when that day comes, I will pick him. Oh, yeah. Cause Are that, you not that, here? No, I think I will. I mean, the problem with this is I don't see a super good reason to pick either guy. Like, I think this is actually I mean, a rare occasion where Patty Pimblet's. There's a good reason to pick Pimblet here. Yeah, what's that? What is it? That he is a really decent, competitive, aggressive grappler and a confident puncher. As hard as that uh, is that's to believe out, outside of him getting stung. And Jordan Levitt, his only submissions have actually really come to miserable grapplers. Yeah. And otherwise, he is a competitive, scrappy fighter on the ground who can win fights positionally and make fights ugly on the mat. Yeah. But he's not actually dominating anywhere, and his striking is just a yeah. tragedy. Yeah, he's a it very is... good positional grappler. I mean, yeah, having Jordan leave it, Levitt, whatever it is, on yeah. top of you um, is a very smothering experience. But he's also, yeah. he has to devote so much attention to that smothering that he doesn't actually tend to get a ton done. Yeah. He's, he either has to lock you down yeah. or he jumps on a, a on a position on a submission that's kind of low percentage and he might pull it off because he went for it and he's not a terrible he's he's a good grappler but it doesn't like the two aren't exactly married yeah you know you're like you look at uh his record and he's got like an inverted triangle choke on Matt Sales and an anaconda choke and a heel hook and arm triangle chokes and a peruvian necktie a lot of these, uh, you know, maybe not the arm triangles, but the rest of these are kind of opportunistic, uh, not terribly high percentage submissions. Yeah. And he, you know, they're not married to this idea that of, of like, oh, yeah, no, I'm just going to get on top of you and just be a heavy guard player or a back take positional yeah. grab. I mean, most of them really involve sacrificing position too. Yeah. Like- Everything except the arm triangle. Which... The arm triangles make sense for his sort of yeah. very heavy shoulder pressure game. Arm triangle but... might be the best submission for like the MMA meta, honestly. It, it, it is, yeah. You, we should see a lot more of it. The way guys like like Bryce Mitchell use the arm triangle and like that quarter mouse, and it's like mm-hmm. it's just like a pick your poison position where you're not quite being submitted yet, but you can't go either way. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, to to me, the the confident punching is the main thing. Um, yeah, 
There's also the fact that Leavitt is is way too willing to like pull guard. Yeah. So there's just seems too high a chance that he'll he'll let the confident grappling of Pimblet just roll over him. Uh, Pimblet in top position is very solid. Yep. Like he's a but very Pimblet's a very functional, good, aggressive position hunting and then submission hunting grappler. Yeah. And then yeah, he's like Levitt might he might get the the trash can you know pop up <laughs> moment just because Pimblet gives it to everybody he's gonna walk in face first and if Levitt just uncorks one of those super ugly one twos of his he might land it just because everybody does but there's no the threat of Jordan Levitt repeatedly punching Patty Pimblet is yeah. so low that it really just feels like Pimblet's natural confidence and speed. He's because he's he's got a lot of speed too. Yeah. Um can just carry him. Like it, if Trey Ogden were faster and and actually in any way, shape, or form gifted athlete at all, he would have won that fight. Have we made this joke before that Patty Pimblet getting incredibly fat between camps is like Piccolo from Dragon Ball Z, like you know, he wears his like 500 pound hat and cape at all times, and then when he like takes them off for a fight, he's just like levitating. He feels so light and fast. Patty Pimblet is cultivating That's Roy right. Nelson. He's cultivating Roy Nelson's speed, and then stops looking like Roy Nelson like the day before the fight. <laughs> right by the time he's by by the time he's like thirty five, he's just gonna have like gigantic calves. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, it's not mad. fair. No, yeah. you can't take that away from us, fat guys. We have the nice muscular legs. All right, that that's yeah. all we have. Yeah. Yeah, so. I think it's it's the general timidity of Levitt striking. Like he may honestly be the first guy who doesn't get to knock down the man popping out of the trash can. Like yeah, he's he he had that fight with uh with Trey Ogden. Yeah, and um, I mean Ogden hit him with like a billion right hands to the body. Like there was just Levitt couldn't do anything. But he kind of like he convinced Ogden that he was like slick on the defense. Mm-hmm. And if Ogden had just stepped in and overwhelmed him with strikes, he would have landed a lot. I, I think most of it, like I say, it's Ogden was, if Ogden was at all a better athlete, I think Ogden was just literally too yeah. foot slow to catch up with Leavitt. Yeah. And, and so, Leavitt's footwork under pressure is really bad. It's, yeah. It, it's just all a mess. His striking, striking is awkward. It's tragedy. Yeah, it's it's extremely awkward. So yeah, Pimblet may honestly just be able to overwhelm him on the feet just by he being. Sh- well, he should. I mean, he should. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's no reason he shouldn't. There's no reason a good you know striker shouldn't overwhelm him on the feet. And then, like Claudio Puelas is a a very good positional grappler, and he just you know took it to Levitt on the mat. Like yeah. I mean, the problem is that yeah, Patty Pimblet isn't a good striker, but he is an aggressive one. So. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. He's, he's not, not good. He's not he's good. Not, he's not good, but he's fast, and he yeah. his form on his punches is at least tight. You know, it's not. Uh, I'm not saying like his movement, his defensive movement, his offensive movement, his combination movement is not. It's not good, but he's like confident, when he, he keeps his eyes open. He aims for his target. I mean, that's all I can really give him as a striker. Yeah, and he's I'm fast. Just, he's saying he like he bends his arms when he throws a hook. 
know. <laughs> That's a low bar to clear. It, it is a bar that many MMA fights. It is a bar that Jordan <laughs> Levitt does not clear even yeah. a little bit. That's true. He's a better boxer than um, William Knight. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and circumstantially better than, uh, uh, you know, big muscle guy got knocked out with the hammer fist of doom. You know what I'm talking about. Todd Duffy. Todd Duffy. Aw, poor Todd. All right. Odds on the fight. Levitt is a sizable underdog. Opened at plus 330, dropped down to plus 208, and is currently plus 211. Pimblet opened at minus 400, jumped up to minus 248, currently minus 263. Is that too wide? No. Honestly, like, Levitt against anybody who is, like, reasonably, reasonably physically capable and can grapple, I don't know. I'm just not going to pick him. Like I, 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 but also it's you know it's Patty Pimblet. He's not that good. Yeah, I just I'm I, I I'm not surprised that it's a little that it's become or that it is wide because he's going to be a fighter that people are just going to bet on. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's all it is. You know that mm-hmm. I'm not surprised about that. But I also just the more I see of Levitt in the octagon the more convinced I am that every win he's gotten is kind of a fluke. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I, I do feel that. And like, you know, I, I mean, he, the, the, the slam of Matt Wyman was a good slam. Matt sales threw himself into a triangle. Like it's, these things happen. Not, but like that Ogden fight was just some, he and that barely beat, fight barely beat Trey Ogden. I mean, he, he honestly, yeah. you, you could have given the decision to Ogden. And it wouldn't even, even really been a robbery. Yeah. And that, Claudio Puelas fight was so ugly too, where it was, it's just like, man, he is working with the weirdest, funkiest skill set out there. Yeah, that's fair. Mm -hmm. All right. That brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Nikita Krylov, Alexander Gustafson. And um, I mean, at one point in time, like this is a no nonsense fight, like pick it all, like, which is, Mm -hmm. oh, Alexander Gustafson. Every day, twice on Sunday. No, no question. The much cleaner puncher, the if not better wrestler, every bit is good a wrestler. Yeah. Gustafson at his height was a very good functional wrestler Mm -hmm. um, offensively and defensively. Krylov is also a good functional wrestler, but his wrestling comes with a lot of grappling mistakes that Mm -hmm. and a lot of. unfocused aggression that good fighters can generally take advantage of, even to the mm-hmm. point that he was absolutely beating uh, Paul Craig's ass and then fell right into a triangle because he just couldn't stop himself from throwing himself into Paul Craig's guard. Um, and yeah, Krylov, he's got, you know, a busy, willfully aggressive kickboxing style, but it's not nearly as clean as Gustafson's boxing. Mm-hmm. And um, both men are pretty durable. I mean, has Krylov actually ever been knocked out? He uh, was TKO'd by Soapalele. but that was pure exhaustion. Like, Yeah. No, I don't think was, he's ever actually been just KO'd. He's never been KO'd. So... That you might have to say something for Krylov's chin in that kind of at any point, but mm-hmm. Gustafson still, you know, his only knockout losses are to John Jones and Anthony Johnson. Mm-hmm. 
but something's wrong with Gus. Yeah, he's just, he literally never recovered from, fully never. recovered from getting KO'd by Anthony Johnson. Yeah, he never it, fully It was recovered. downhill confidence-wise from there, and now physically he's, he's shot as well. Yeah, and the thing is, it even, I mean, I'm not even sure that he's physically shot him. He probably is, but it's just that there's now, even in fights he's winning, there is a confidence wall. And it does not take a lot to rattle it or find it. You know, like that fight he had with Anthony Smith. Yeah. There's no reason he should have lost that fight. Mm-hmm. And you just kept watching and they're competitive. And it's just like a slow paced, competitive kickboxing bat. And you kept waiting for, okay, well, here's the point where it's going to click for Gus and he's going to start hurting Anthony Smith. And it just never happened. Mm-hmm. And instead, Anthony Smith started hurting him, just started taking the fight to him more and more. And, like, Anthony Smith is a good fighter. There's nothing, you know, no hate towards him on that front. But he is a good up-to-the-elite kind of fighter. And then most of the elite talent that faces Anthony Smith can find the multiple holes in his game and break him down Mm because he has his own blocks up there and he has his own defensive gaps and his striking and his wrestling and all that. And it just feels, you know, like, and then the Verdum fight, like, it just felt like that felt like a fighter going out there and just trying to get the fight over with as quick as he could because yeah, he didn't want to be out. Like, it was just pure bad mental, bad vibes all the way through. You're watching. Bad just, vibes. And at this point, it, it's, it's, it's an ignominious yeah. uh, thing to be uh, Verdum's only win in the last, like, five years. Yeah. And Verdum has not been looking good himself. He was supposed to fight Ben Rothwell earlier this year at heavyweight. Mm. So this light heavyweight move is kind of fly by night. He was supposed to fight L- Paul Craig last year at light heavyweight. Yeah, so it's been two years. We haven't even mentioned that. It's been two years since the loss to Verdum. Yeah, and he got injured again before that Paul Craig bout. And so he, you know, he got injured. He was going to go back down to light heavyweight after losing to Fabrizio Verdun, which already suggested bad things because the heavyweight move was like, oh, I retired and I'm coming back. I've put on weight, put on muscle. I've gained, regained my confidence. I'm coming back at heavyweight. And then instantly was like, oh, no, 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 no. And now it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go be a light heavyweight again because that's where I was good. And then he gets injured, and it's like, okay, well, I'm going back to heavyweight, and I'll fight Ben Rothwell there, and, you know, we'll do that. And then that fight, Rothwell leaves the UFC, decides, eh, you know what, I, I got better offers other places. And so Gus is now back at light heavyweight against Nikita Krylov. That's just like, mm-hmm. I, I, I got no faith. I got no faith in any of this. No. Nope. Yeah, this is a purely, don't even have to talk about the styles, just like, yeah. don't, don't pick Gustafson. Five years ago, I would have picked Gus without a thought in the world. And, uh, you know, it's bad. But that, like, that Anthony Johnson loss was seven years ago. Yeah. And 
at this point, I just can't do it. Yeah, he's had, and he's had, you know, some incredibly courageous fights since then, but yeah, just yeah. not, it's just been downhill. Uh, yep. Yeah. I don't have really anything to add. Krylov's in the prime of his life. He's confident. He's never lacked for confidence. Yep. He's going to take the fight everywhere. Um, he's tough. He's tough. Yeah, he's uh, he he keeps a pretty good pace. Like there is just absolutely no reason to pick Gustafson, given all the downward twists and turns his career has taken, the we- the weight class changes, the just visible lack of confidence. Um, you know, it can happen with the right matchup. Matchup, like we did see our 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 other uh, hobby horse for broken confidence, Chase Sherman, get a win a couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, but. Definitely the right opportunity for something like that to happen. Um, Krylov is not so easy to to find. He's going to make errors in the act of winning the fight. But at this point, I don't trust Gustafson to like come up with those, the confidence to find those like reversal points to, to shift the momentum. And I think the momentum is going to be going against him as soon as the fight. Yeah. I mean, when Krylov, Okay, Gustafson hasn't submitted anyone in a de- in more than a decade. Yeah, that was actually kind of a thing on his rise up. Like, oh, he's got a pretty crafty grappling game too. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. But it was it, after that Phil Davis fight too that his wrestling got better. He like started training with Davis. Yeah, and but he hasn't submitted anyone in a decade. Yep. And if you don't submit Nikita Krylov, yep. Actually beating him is an incredible challenge because he never stops pushing. Like even Magomed Ankalaev Mm -hmm. struggled to beat Nikita Krylov Mm -hmm. because it was just like, why is this dude throwing so much at me? Why isn't he scared off by the the idea that I hit really hard and can wrestle really well? And solid enough wrestler and and hyper aggressive on the ground. So, yeah that moment of lacking confidence where you're like, Oh, is this the chance to turn it around? He has already like surging in with a new idea. Yeah. So I just got to pick Krylov. Mm-hmm. Odds on the bout. Gustafson is the underdog open to plus 170, dropped to plus 162, dropped again to plus 154 and has risen back up to plus 162. So yeah, late money coming in against Gus for Krylov. That makes sense to me. Krylov opened up minus 250, jumped up to minus 207 and uh, again to minus 191 is currently down at one minus 196. All right. That brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Molly McCann Hannah Goldie and um, it's McCann. Yeah. She got to win this one. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think she was a hundred percent just electrified the last time that she got to fight in London. Uh-huh. I think that honestly made a significant difference in her confidence. Like she had a serious chip on her shoulder and fought like it. Yep. She's probably going to go out there looking to put on a show again. She also just looked technically better Yeah, against uh, Luana Carolina. I liked her decision-making a lot more. I liked the way that she went after the body. I liked the way that she pressured. It was good um, to see her leading with confidence in that really? fight. Really? Yeah. Because that has been one of the big problems for McCann is that she has been a much more confident counterpuncher than she is leading. Yeah. And she doesn't, she didn't know, she had the a serious case of Ross Pearson syndrome in the past. Yes, where you, yes, yes, yes. You're like watching her lead exchanges and get hit every time leading because she's not doing it with real force and confidence and dedication. 
And then every time she would counter, she would do much better, but she would never stick to countering. And in that Carolina fight, she didn't stick to countering, but she actually just led with confidence. And it made a huge difference. Yeah, she she just seemed to know what to do. She led behind her jab. She used feints well. She mixed up her targets. She put combos together uh, and then found a crazy creative knockout out of a clinch. Um, So, yeah, I just don't see what Goldie really uh, has particularly to offer. Like, she's more comfortable as a striker than she is anywhere else. Uh, but she's not all that good. No, she it's only just, tends to really do it. And he, she tends to back up constantly and then try yeah. to counter. But it, she is one of the rare, rare women in this division who I believe just has significantly shorter reach. No, no one inch shorter reach. I thought for some reason, like Goldie's arms just seem like especially stumpy. Yeah. Um, she's got these broad shoulders and these really muscular arms. They just yeah. look short. And so... She's going to have shorter reach than McCann. She backs up a lot, which is just going to give McCann license to chase. And she doesn't set her feet on her back foot. So she actually has a lot of trouble hitting with as much power as she should, given her frame. Yep. And then she can get taken down a lot. And uh, she got an arm bar off her back against Emily Whitmire, but... McCann, if you can't, if you're not physically overwhelming McCann, she's actually pretty hard to submit. Oh, yeah. And it was just a moment. It was a lapse in concentration by Whitmire, who was yeah, easily dominating. just dominating Goldie on the ground up to that point. Yep. So, yeah, Molly so, McCann, 100%. Yep. Pretty easy pick. And I'm kind of looking forward to it because I really enjoyed the last time again that she was in the UK. Like, yeah. Molly McCann fired up trying to impress is a lot of fun to watch. I, I feel a little bad for McCann because she's like so firmly lumped herself in as team Patty Pimblett, like, yeah. you know, Patty Pimblett's anti kind of role that people are like already sick of Patty and are now like getting sick of Molly McCann by proxy. Nah, don't do or- that. I got somebody like coming into it to my Twitter DMs being like, man, I can't, I, I hate the way that, that the, the UFC is just like feeding P- Patty Pimblett and Molly McCann, like winnable fights to keep the, like pump them up in front of their home crowd and all that. And I'm like, Molly McCann is like 500 in the UFC. Yeah. They, they, she's, you know, she's not the best fighter out there, but it's not like she's just getting fights. She can win. She's, you know, like what would be the point of pump of bumping her up the division when she's already lost regularly every time that's happened? Yeah. You know, she's she's a fun fighter and she's a mid card action fighter and you stick her in mid card action fights. Yeah. That's what this is. Yeah. So. Who cares? It's a perfectly appropriate matchup. I mean, yeah. I, I don't. Also, too, I got, you know, as a fight, like. In general, with Patty Pimblett, I realize that he's going to get a lot of hate because he got a lot of hype. But any fighter that can take advantage of UFC booking, all power to him. Like, yeah. Honestly. If you can, if you can, if any fighter can, car, Sean O'Malley, all power to him. I was just going to say, he's him. not close yeah. to as detestable as Sean O'Malley either. Like, he's just like a... Um, 
like loud. Yeah. You know? But like Sean O'Malley is has a really annoying personality. You would almost certainly have a good time with Patty Piblet at the bar. Yeah. Well, you don't want to go into Sean O'Malley's 14 year old stoner bedroom with the blacklight posters. You're not going to have a fun time. <laughs> she's just going to talk your ear off and try to impress you know like it's, he's just going to try to get you to microdose heroin with him <laughs> different yeah Patty <laughs> Pimblett I totally as a you know a dyed in the wool contrarian I totally get it I also feel this impulse to be like oh I don't like him because he's hyped yeah but like that's really the only reason yeah he's he's fine he's fun you know he's it's not his fault that people he's, gravitated he's, to him he says some stupid stuff on the social oh my media, God. but that's a good reason to stay off social media. I mean, he's a yeah. fighter. Like, what do you expect? He had the, I mean, he, after his last win in the UK, he did the, the game of Thrones quote. Like he's dumb. Yeah. It's <laughs> no question, but I can forgive dumb. Like, yeah. Um, but my, my point being any fighter that can find their way to easy bookings in the UFC, all power to you. Yeah. Whatever. They will chew you up and spit you out first chance they get. If they can, if they get you on four losses because you took every hard fight that they gave you, yeah, you're gone and they don't care. Yeah, like, good for you. You know, you you fought with honor. Who gives a shit? Yeah. So McCann getting a good winnable fight with Hannah Goldie in front of a hometown crowd. Good for her. Like yeah, that's fine. every fighter should be so lucky. Yeah. And she's uh, fun, you know, and that last yeah. fight was a blast. Like Exactly. McCann's always every every Molly McCann fight is fun. Mm-hmm. McCann opened at minus two hundred, dropped to minus two eighty two, currently down at minus four eleven. Hannah Goldie opened at plus one seventy, jumped up to plus two thirty-five, and is currently up at plus three twelve. And same thing for Patty Pimblet, too. I mean, you might hate the hype, but the dude not not one of his fights in the UFC has been even a, a little bit boring. Has he or ever in Cage Warriors. Fight? Yeah, yeah. Like, the reason he has his reputation is because every fight he's ever had has been an insane mess. Yeah. So. Yeah, his, trash, right. his trash can fights are genuinely <laughs> worth watching. Yeah. There's always a moment where everything just goes instantly wrong, and then it's just madness. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Paul Craig, Volkanos Demir. Mm-hmm. And this is... It just occurred to me, didn't Paul Craig retire? He t- told everybody that he was going to retire after beating Shogun Hua, I think. Right. And then he was like, oh, you know what? Actually, I'm doing really well. Or like after his next fight would be his last. And then he went in and fought Jamal Hill and won. And then it's just like, oh, you know what? I'm actually still doing really well. Maybe I shouldn't retire. Yeah. So he, he, he told everybody that he was going to retire and then didn't, which, you know. Is okay. I forgot about that. It, I just remembered it out of nowhere that he yeah. uh, retired like years ago. <laughs> it didn't happen. Yeah. He, he just told people that he was going to retire. And then, I, I mean, he, he represents the classic MMA fighter conundrum in – throughout the history of the sport, which is that it takes like 10 years to get enough recognition and enough uh, presence to start making actual money as an MMA fighter. And that's also the length of a career. So most fighters, by the time they get to a point where they're actually getting recognition and getting money and earning big purses. And the, it's actually worthwhile for them to c- compete. They're at a point where they should probably be thinking about not doing this anymore. 
Yeah. And, and also there's just, I mean, the reason that is the length of a career is like, it, it then starts to become harder to compete. You start getting injured and can't. Well, yeah, that's what I'm yeah, saying. Like, is you get to a point where you, you probably shouldn't be doing this anymore, but it's the one time where right. you're starting to make money. Like, I mean, Jorge Masvidal, like, there's no question that, like, four or five years ago was prime Jorge Masvidal. Mm-hmm. And what we've been seeing now is a dude who's getting paid a million dollars a fight and shouldn't be like, he should probably just not, you know, he should probably be going and doing other stuff, but he's getting paid a million dollars a fight. Why would you turn down fighting Kamaru Usman? Yeah. Even if you're past your prime should be speaking at CPAC. Exactly. <laughs> Making like 85 year old wives of uh, former re- Republican attorney generals, like incredibly uncomfortable. That's right. I would actually love to see that. Jorge Maswell just trying to like schmooze with old white ladies. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Paul Craig, he is in that unenviable area where he's already thought hard about retiring, but he's like in spitting distance of a title shot. Like this is the, you know, yeah, the hardest time yeah. to walk away. He's been looking good. He doesn't look like a guy who's nearing the end of his primary. I think he looks fine. He looks as good as he ever has in, in better yeah. in a lot of ways. I think he's just he was just trying to be smart. Yeah. And the smart thing is not fighting. But, yeah. you know. But he, he is a fighter. So he's a, he's a fighter. Yeah. You're at a point now where you're going to be making like $100,000 every time you fight $150,000. Like, why would you walk away? The big bucks. Yeah, I know. It's sad to say that, isn't it? The big bucks. And now with the post-Brexit economy, that's almost equivalent to 150,000 pounds. It's true, yeah. <laughs> Not as much a difference. So actually, you're kind of getting paid pretty well now, <laughs> considering. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it's a Paul Craig fight. like Yeah. Um, and it's also a Volkan Uzdemir fight. It's, a, it's Two it, dudes who are just weird in a weird division. You can see... You can see every version of this. You can see yeah. Ustamir going out there and being one of the guys who just KOs Paul Craig. Yep. You can see him being one of the guys who goes out there and doesn't KO Paul Craig and winds up grappling with him. Yep. Um, Those you, are the can, two versions. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's it's like, um, I mean, Phil already made this comparison, but I'll just steal it like I usually do. It's like a Darren Elkins, Michael Johnson kind of thing, like. Mm-hmm. I know how both these guys fight, and they might just line up in a way where they both get to have the fight they want. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm going to pick Volkan Ustamir. I am too, because he doesn't actually have to grapple with Paul Craig. No, <laughs> he just doesn't have to. He's a good enough defensive wrestler. He can, he can just prevent it from happening. Yeah, he and uh, he's good enough at maintaining a, th- a three round striking battle these days where and he may not have to. Like, I do think it's just. Yeah, a, we've seen Paul Craig get hurt and come back to submit people about as many times as we've seen him get hurt and go unconscious. Like it, it's it's possible. It's not like uh, it's not even like Darren Elkins. Like, yeah. It's kind of 50-50 if Paul Craig gets to have that comeback chance. And it's still a very uh, unreliable sort of path to victory in a lot of these fights. And without a more effective wrestling game, without more like immediately comfortable striking, and it has, it's gotten better, no doubt, mm-hmm. Paul Craig's boxing. But it just seems like Uzdemir can go out there and just start jabbing him and hitting him in the body and landing clean shots. And 
I don't think Paul Craig is the is the guy right now to beat Uzdemir. Uzdemir, no. who hasn't been looking flawless in his recent fights, he seems to have some some confidence issues. But he's also just fought people who like. I think he's improved a lot. Absolutely, yeah. And he's just fight, fighting people who are just more skilled than he is. Like who can yeah. just do more things and take him apart in ways that he can't counter. Like. Fighting Yuri Prashaska and Magomed Ankalaev, you know, yeah. against Prashaska, he can go out there and have a good, hard back and forth round with Prashaska, but Prashaska can just dig deeper and be more creative and throw, you know, with more variety and have better vision and con- insane confidence in his ability to do that. And break it was able to break Ozdemir. And then Ankalaev is just cleaner he's just a cleaner striker and he's a better wrestler too and what's Ozdemir's path to victory there yeah but Paul Craig isn't a cleaner striker and he's probably not a better wrestler either no so unless and Ozdemir might just make some catastrophic error I mean like again that's why it is the fight that it is but yeah He's going to have the advantage to start with and a bigger advantage or an equal advantage to a lot of the guys who have just successfully knocked Paul Craig out. Yeah, there is nothing to say that Volkan Ustamir won't drop Paul Craig with a right hand and then dive into his guard. Yeah, yeah. And then just get triangled. Yeah. But he would be a damn fool. Yeah. He also might just drop him and not have to dive on him. Like, yeah. <laughs> Paul Craig is just going to get hit really clean. Yeah. And Paul Craig will probably start this fight just being aggressive and just running straight at Volkan Ustamir, which has typically been a way to lose really fast to Volkan Ustamir. It's true. You know, Yuri Prashaska broke the mold on that, but Yuri Prashaska is actually insane and yeah. incredibly and Prashaska, talented. Yeah did, in fact, just, like, draw immediate clean shots out of Uzdemir and just was able to eat them. Yeah. Most other fighters that beat him have very cautious approaches or, you know, back when it was DC and Anthony Smith, they went after him and they were able to break his cardio just through attrition. But I don't think that that guy is... I, I think Uzdemir has done a lot of work since then to fix that, and he hasn't you know, the Yuri Prashaska fight aside, he hasn't had performances like that since then. Mm-hmm. He's been much more consistent, much more, con- you know, concentrated and able to pull himself through multiple rounds with power, with clean technique. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of variety to his game and what he wants to do. It's still mostly entirely just boxing, which makes you know, it's always going to leave him beatable at the very elite levels, but sure, there's not a lot of variety to Paul Craig's game. It's mostly just grappling. Mm-hmm. And that's going to also leave him vulnerable at the elite, the elite levels. Yep. So it's, it's, it's Ustamir's fight to lose. That, that's yeah. really the dynamic. That's, that is definitely the dynamic. It's just, there is that little part of me that just knows mm-hmm. among our variety of rules, like we talked about with uh, Hermanson and Curtis, grappling is the the like silver bullet of the light heavyweight division, yep. where they just can't grapple. Light heavyweights can't grapple, 
And if you are the one light heavyweight that can grapple, you can win a whole bunch of fights just being that one guy that can grapple. Yeah. Sometimes it's even true of Paul Craig. Jimmy Crute submitted him. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is a division that has no defensive grappling whatsoever. I don't know what it is, but light heavyweights do not have defensive grappling skill. It just does not compute in the light heavyweight DNA. Yeah. All right. Paul Craig is the underdog opened at plus 170, dropped to plus 104, is currently up at plus 134. Volcano's mirror opened at minus 200, jumped up to minus 119, is currently down at minus 161. That note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at the Zane Simon. You can find Con on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at bloodyelbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast. Bloody Elbow presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And as always, the MMA section is brought to you by uh, Chris Rini's book, The Fine Art of Violence, which you can find over at chrisrini.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio Style Play-by-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog, and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>